sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will wound even deeper. Right? As you just said, that's not the way you learn that little rhyme as a child. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Oh, if that were true. But it's not. A stick might cut the skin. A stone thrown might break bones, but sharp words go deeper. They will cripple your soul and crush your heart. And words have power to provide hope and healing. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Consider these phrases. Three simple words. I love you. I hate you. You are accepted. You are rejected. You are cherished. You are worthless. You are beautiful. You're ugly. I am sorry. You are forgiven. Three simple words, yet so much power. Words matter. A lot more than sticks and stones. And James turns our attention to our speech in chapter 3. And this isn't a new topic for James. James has already addressed our speech. Remember, in chapter 1, verse 19, James told us, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. And slow to anger. Then in chapter 1 verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious. And does not bridle his tongue. But deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. As I read the book of James this week. I see at least 20 implicit and explicit references to our words. To categories of speech. James is concerned That those who say they have faith in Jesus actually live like it and talk like it. Remember who James is writing to. Remember to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. The original recipients were were Christians who have been displaced from their home. They're living in a different culture, a, a foreign land, and they're being pressed in likely to form to the culture around them. And if they were to truly follow Jesus, their faith would be costly. And so James is a good pastor. He knows the trials and temptations confronting these brothers and sisters, that they're they're gonna be tempted to to drift from the faith, to to say they love Jesus, but then use words that are more consistent with the culture around them, to neglect encouraging and building up, to neglect meeting together. It's just not worth it. James has a burden with these brothers and sisters that he loves They might say they believe in Jesus, but then deny him with their mouths because that so-called faith is more comfortable. His concern is that these people might claim 
to know God and even be able to articulate a correct theology about God. And yet, not live in a way and their words and their works are in keeping with God's good life-giving law. James does not want his readers to be deceived. And James does not want us to be deceived. James is clear. We are saved by grace alone, grace alone, and Christ alone, by faith alone. That's chapter 1, verse 18. And James is clear. Saving faith never remains alone. See the rest of James' letter. So James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, chapter 1, verse 22. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, chapter 2, verse 12. And as we looked at last week's passage, James said, show me your faith by your works. And in today's passage, James essentially says, show me your faith by your words. The authentic Christian life is a life with a tamed tongue. And James is calling us to examine our faith based on the evidence of our speech. Watch your words. It's the main call of this passage. And James gives us at least three reasons why. As we unpack this passage, here's where we're headed. Watch your words because they have power. Watch your words because they can destroy. Watch your words because they always reveal. Let's jump in. Let me encourage you to have your Bibles open in front of you. It's always good to make sure that what we say matches God's word. Look again at verse 2. Watch your words. They have power. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James says we all stumble. We all sin in a variety of ways. We are unique in the ways we choose to rebel against God. But there's one sin we all have in common. The sin of speech. In fact, James says, if we were able to control every word that came out of our mouth all the time, we'd be able to control our entire lives. That's how powerful our words are. They direct and control so much. So James is holding out this picture, but I don't think he's just holding out this unattainable standard of perfection. I think he's also using this word as he did back in chapter 1, verse 4. The idea is the idea of maturity. So James is not talking just about sinless perfection, but spiritual maturity. And James is saying the spiritually mature Christian has control over their speech. Our words are a measuring stick of Christian maturity and a means to it. That's just how powerful our words are. And James gives us two examples to illustrate the power of our words. First, the bit that goes into the mouth of a horse, right? A, a small five inch piece of metal weighing just a few ounces is used to control a thousand pounds of pure muscle. That little bit has a disproportionate power over the much larger horse. Why? Because the bit touches some of the most sensitive areas of a horse. So also our words. And James gives another illustration, the rudder of a ship. And the idea is the same. Ships are big, 
rudders are small. And the smallest part of the ship navigates that ship by the will of the pilot. So it navigates the winds and the waves. Small things often have disproportionate power, control, and influence. Verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James wants us to recognize and feel the weight of our words. They might seem small, but they have a disproportionate power. All of our words, all of them, those you speak, those you write, those you email, those you text, those you tweet, those you post, those you publish, those you preach, all of them. They touch the most sensitive areas of our lives. They help us control and influence as we navigate waves and winds around us. And yet words can seem so mundane. We can forget the profound power that they have. And so we must ask, why are our words so powerful? And the answer is this. We need to realize the first words ever spoken were uttered by God himself. In the beginning, God said, and light and life came forth. God is omnipotent, and with a mere utterance of a few syllables, creation comes into existence. We are not omnipotent. We cannot create out of nothing with our words. We cannot name it and claim it. We cannot do that. But we are created in God's image, and God is a God who talks, and we talk, and we talk not with omnipotence, but with potency, because we image our God. And here's what we must realize. Our words then belong to him. We can be tempted to think that our words are simply tools to make our lives easier and more efficient, that our words are simply means by which we get to express our opinions and our preferences. But our words are a powerful gift given to us by a communicating God for his divine purposes. This is the reason for James' warning about teachers in verse 1. He's speaking about teachers in the church. And what's the main instrument teachers use? Words. And what do words have? Power. Pastors And the church have the power to clearly explain the truth of who God is, what God has said, what God has done, and what God promises to do. Or power to distort and deny those things, leading others astray. I don't take lightly, I'm standing up here speaking on behalf of the one true living God. Every time... We preach from this pulpit. Every word I say will be held accountable before God himself. Our job is not to entertain you. Our job is not to be funny. Our job, beloved, is to faithfully explain the whole counsel of God's word in a way that points to the person, the work, the worth, the beauty, the brilliance of Jesus that we might treasure him together. That's our job. And this is serious business. And that's why James says, not many of you should become teachers. He's not trying to talk qualified people 
gifted people out of teaching in the church. He's simply impressing upon us the seriousness of speaking on behalf of God. He's warning us not to tamper with God's word that we might fit into the culture around us. And he's warning us not to teach with impure motives. Pastors, teachers, spiritual leaders are held to a higher standard. To whom much is given, much is required. So beloved, just as David did this morning, pray for your elders. Pray for all those in our church who teach God's word. Pray that whoever teaches word, the word in our church, would do so faithfully, compassionately, with a conviction and a kindness, striving to make Jesus look great, not ourselves. And I know some of you have been hurt by careless words of a pastor, of a so-called spiritual leader. They have used their position and influence, the power of their words, to harm for selfish purposes. And I just want you to know, this grieves God. It breaks his heart. It's not the way it's supposed to be. To use James' word from verse 10, these things ought not be so. So friends, maybe this is the very reason you're suspicious of the church, of the Christian faith. Maybe this is the reason you're hesitant to commit your life to Christ and follow him and join with his people because you've been hurt by a so-called person speaking on behalf of God. And I just want to say, first of all, I'm sorry if that's you. If this is a reality that you're struggling with, I'm sorry. And I hope you see God's word has no place for that. And I want to tell you, while we are not a perfect church, I pray we are a church where words might bring healing to your wounded soul. And so we desire to be a place where the broken can find hope and healing. And so we invite you just to keep coming around. Come around, ask questions, listen to our teachers, listen to our pastors, listen to those handling God's word in our community groups, and even ask your questions. And we want to come alongside you and walk with you. But it's not just the pastor's job. All of us can boast of great things. Verse 5. That's the context. James says all of our tongues boast of great things. And this isn't the first time James has talked about boasting. If you remember back in chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, he commanded us to boast. He commanded us to boast that we have in God all that we need, whether you're poor or whether you're rich, we have all we need in Jesus. And so our words can be used to boast of great things, great as the gospel itself. We can do what we did at the beginning of the service and we can, with our tongues, we can boast, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great redeemer's praise. Our words can be used to proclaim the greatest news in all the earth. Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again. God in his sovereign grace used our words to bring people from spiritual death to life in Christ. God in his steadfast love gives us words that we might make disciples that delight, yes, boast in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. God in his tender mercy gives us words that we might apply the balm of the gospel to a friend's wounded soul so that together we might treasure Christ and hope in the soon coming of him to heaven on earth. Christian brothers and sisters, our words shape lives. Think about that. Our words shape lives. They can encourage, build up, spur on, be like sweet medicine to a soul. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. How might you use your words this week to boast in great things? 
to encourage a fellow church member, to humbly share Jesus with that non-Christian friend, to train your children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. But unfortunately, that's not the only boasting James talks about. In chapter 3, verse 14, he also talks about a sinful boasting. And so our words have power. They can boast in great things or in sinful things. Words can destroy. Watch your words. They can destroy. In the second half of verse 5, James gives us another image. It's not one of directing, but destroying. A great fire started by a small spark. I'm sure most of us have seen the images of a wildfire. Perhaps out west or the ones that were raging in Australia a couple years ago. Thousands upon thousands of acres destroyed by a raging fire. As flame advanced, it doesn't care what's in its path. Houses reduced to ashes. Cars become nothing but charred metal. Land just black and desolate. And what usually causes these fires? Something as simple as a cigarette butt tossed out the window. Something as simple as campfire coals thought to be put out, but were actually still smoldering just a little bit. And a great fire started by such a small spark. Look at verse 6, James' conclusion. And the tongue is a what? The tongue is a what? Our words. A few careless comments about another person can cause great destruction. Our words intentionally spewed at another can destroy. And James does not pull any punches in describing the tongue in the rest of verse 6. Look at it. A word, a, a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the entire course of life. The tongue gives expression to all that is wicked and evil. And the sparks of those expressions can explode, corrupting everything about us. We cannot separate our words from who we are. You may remember the story of a woman's life that was changed after typing less than 140 characters. It was captured in the New York Times article with the the title, How One Stupid Tweet Blew Up This Person's Life. I'm not going to use their name because it could be any one of us. But the story does illustrate what James is saying. So this lady, before boarding her final flight on a trip to Cape Town, South Africa, she hit post on this racist tweet. Going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm white. She had 170 Twitter followers, but a spark in the Twitterverse. Yet, unbeknownst to her, over the next 11 hours, as she was unaware of what was going on, she became number one on Twitter worldwide. Before she landed, she had lost her job. Media were waiting for her to get off the plane to humiliate and to shame her. This woman's life was forever changed by less than 140 characters. That's James' point. Words have power, power that will destroy, setting on fire the entire course of life. But James isn't done. 
The tongue is set on fire by hell. Our words are a pilot light that can be burst forth with the destroying fumes ignited by Satan himself. I think of Peter. He rebukes Jesus. He thinks he has a better plan than Jesus. Jesus, you don't need to die on the cross. That's not the kind of kingdom I want. So let me rebuke you and tell you that's not going to happen. And what did Jesus do? What did he say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Our tongues can become an instrument of the evil one, promoting his schemes over our saviors. James isn't done yet. Look at verse 8, at the end of verse 8. It, the tongue, is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Our tongues are restless, eager to break out. And here's the thing, even when we know we shouldn't say something, what do we do? We usually say something like, I know I shouldn't say this, but... And then we say it anyway. There are restless evil ready to break out. And here's the thing, not just ready to break out and break bones or cut skin, break out and bite. And when they do, notice what James says. They inject a poison into people's souls. As a saint of old said of the tongue, a slender portion of flesh contains in it the whole world of iniquity. There's probably not a sin that is exposed more or condemned more in Scripture than sins of speech. Sin makes its introduction in the world through speech. Did God really say? And how does Adam use his words after his first sin? God It's the woman you gave me. From the very beginning, our tongues are used to blaspheme and blame shift and sin against one another. Words ruin friendships. Words divide churches. Words end marriages. And as we've seen recently, words literally start wars. Watch your words. They have a disproportionate power. They contain a deadly poison. And I want you to know, I say these words not as one who has arrived. I've been pleading all week that God would help me bridle my own tongue. Some of my biggest regrets are words I have said. I have learned words like toothpaste. Once they're out, can't get them back in. I've said careless words that were meant to be lighthearted but were actually demeaning. Conversations that I thought were warnings against sin came off more like condemnations because of my own self-righteousness. Just this week, sarcasm with an aim to be funny actually wasn't funny, but stung someone's soul. At times, my attempts to motivate are simply mean. I've spewed harsh words to my wife, my daughters, to some of you. To my shame, some of my sharpest words have been said to my closest friends. Some of you I've had conversations with asking for forgiveness because of my words. I was reminded this week that when I was helping one of my daughters with homework one time, because she wasn't getting it fast enough, interrupting my little kingdom, I told her, 
You just need to go back to kindergarten. I share this story with permission. But how do you think my daughter responded to that moment? Dad, that's so helpful. What a wise sage you are. I've never thought that I should go back and learn the basics. Thank you for being so kind and reminding to me. No. She got up from our dining room table, ran to her room, and started crying. Why? Because words wound. Welcome to my conviction. Pastor James is inviting us to evaluate our words. He's concerned because he knows loose speech is linked to a lifeless faith. Get that, beloved. Loose speech is linked to a lifeless faith. And so here's the question. Is the content of your speech consistent with the confession of your faith? Are there areas in your life that verse 9 accurately describes? With it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. That's good. That's powerful. That's boasting great things. But the verse goes on. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That's not good. That's poisonous. That's destroying. Our words have power to boast in great things and God himself. And our words have power to destroy God's image bearers. And as James says, brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. There should be consistency between our worship of God and the words we speak about his image bearers. Which, beloved, means everyone, not just Christians. Brothers and sisters, our faith in Christ must mark the way we use our words, all of them. Words on social media. You are interacting with image bearers, not pixels. Are your words consistent? Our faith in Jesus must mark what, the way we speak to and about our coworkers. There should be no grumbling to one coworker about another, no sinful complaining about your boss behind his back. Students, a trust in Jesus should mark the way you speak to and about your friends at school, even how you speak about your teachers. Right? There should be no gossip about a person in that friend group to this friend group, no matter how much it makes you fit in. There should be no crude joking about teachers, no matter how funny other people think that it is. This is what James is calling us to. And it's not just out there, but in here among us. How are you using your words inside this church? How do you speak about fellow church members? Husbands and wives, how do you speak to and about your spouse? Parents, are your words to your children in keeping with Christ? Children, how do you speak to your parents in a way that shows a love for Jesus? Again, every word, spoken, written, text, tweet, post, can build up or tear down. Our words help or heal, hurt or wound. See, with our words, we can announce forgiveness or heap condemnation. We can gossip behind each other's back or point out God's grace to each other's face. We can slander that fellow brother or sister because we don't understand their choices or be quick to listen and slow to speak, offering charity instead of condemnation. 
with our speech, we can promote partiality or foster unity. We can arrogantly boast how great we are, or we can boast how great God is and celebrate his grace in the life of another. We can use our words to defend ourselves or confess our wrongs to one another. We can, we can use our words and weaponize them to withhold forgiveness, or we can use them to hold out the glory of the gospel, forgiving just as we've been forgiven. Words give life. Words bring death. You choose. Beloved James is calling us to show our faith by our words. And I have to ask, where do you need to repent of misplaced or malicious ones? What patterns of speech need to be changed? Is the spirit convicting you of something specific of a particular person you've sinned against with your speech? By God's grace, for the glory of Christ, resolve to go to them today. Don't wait. Don't wait. Remember what James has been telling us. There is freedom. There is joy. There is life in joyful obeying God's life-giving law. Sometimes this can be messy. We're not sure what repentance looks like in this area. If you don't know what it looks like, talk to a trusted friend. Talk to a community group member. Come find one of the pastors. We'll walk with you. At the same time, I realize there's some of you who have been deeply, deeply wounded by words of another. You know all too well words carry a deadly poison. Some of you right now call to mind specific phrases said to you, words that have wounded your soul. You've been on the receiving end of abusive talk. Maybe it's the way your parents spoke to you as you were growing up. Maybe it's the way someone at school made fun of you or bullies you. Maybe it's a friend who betrayed you by speaking ill. Maybe it's just a stranger who said a comment that is stuck in your soul. Whatever the case might be, I want you to know that as powerful as words are, none of them are more powerful than the word incarnate Jesus Christ. Words spoken to us can hurt, they can harm, they are part of our story, but they are not the story. Jesus speaks better, truer, more lasting words. And when we come to him, when we treasure Christ, here's what he tells us. Here's his words, I love you, I chose you. You are my friend. I lay my life down for you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am preparing a place for you. I long to be with you for eternity. And the father says of you, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. My prayer is the spirit would take those words and apply them to your wounds. The gospel might bring hope and healing to hurting souls. Words have power. Words can destroy. And words always reveal. So the first thing we see in, is our tongue reveals our need for help. We see this in verse 7 and 8. James takes us to the zoo. And he begins talking about all these animals. They've been tamed, but I don't think he's just taking us to the zoo. I think he's taking us back to Genesis 1. For God has given us a dominion over creation. And throughout history, animals have been tamed and trained in all kinds of ways. Uh, in our day, we seem to be able to train animals just for entertainment purposes. I just jump on YouTube. You see all kinds of, you see parrots karaokeing, 
bulldogs riding skateboards, elephants playing soccer. Like we can, it's, it's, we can do all kinds, we can train all kinds of animals with enough time and attention. It's like we can get them to do anything, but our dominion has its limits. Verse eight, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? We can do all kinds of things, accomplish great feats, but this one little thing we can't do. James is telling us there isn't a secret program to to taming the tongue. There's not a special book called seven steps to flawless speech that gives you all the tips and techniques you need. There's not a Ted talk that gives you everything you need to control your tongue. And I can attest with firsthand knowledge, grandma washing your mouth out with soap only works for so long. It doesn't fix it. James is clear. Taming the tongue is something that we're unable to do, but we need to. But it goes beyond human capacity. Our words reveal we need help. And we need help because of where our words come from. It's where James takes us. Look again at verses 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Here's James' point. A product is always consistent with the source from which it comes. Fresh beings do not produce salty water. Fig trees yield figs, not olives. As careful as you look, as hopeful as you might be, you won't find oranges growing on apple trees. You won't find pineapples springing up in rice fields. You can trace the product back to its source. The root determines the type of fruit. So also the tongue. The fruit of our words reveals the root in our hearts. The content of our speech reveals the core of our being. And James is reiterating what Jesus taught. Matthew 12, 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Sounds like James, doesn't it? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's a direct link between what's in our hearts and what comes out of our mouths. After saying something that you realized was ungodly, have you ever said, I I, I didn't mean to say that? Well, according to Jesus and James, the biblical response is, see, please forgive me for saying what I actually meant. Because if it wasn't in my heart, it wouldn't have come out in the first place. Do you see what this means? Word problems can't be reduced to simply choosing the right vocabulary. Speech problems are not just about technique. Yes, timing, tone, content, all that matters. But paying attention to those things alone won't solve our speech issues. Word problems reveal something deeper, our hearts. 
Speech displays the soul. Just like salty water comes from salty spring, salty words flow from a salty heart. Bitter words are produced by a bitter heart. Critical words arise from a critical spirit. Grumbling pours out of an ungrateful heart. Malice comes from a heart deficient in knowing and enjoy God's mercy. Gossip comes from a heart that's not secure in God's grace. Harsh, angry words come from a heart more concerned with your glory than God's. Slander comes from a heart shriveled by sin. And remember what Jesus said. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Friends, left to ourselves, not only can we not tame the tongue, we are left to give an account for every careless word we've ever spoken. And we have no excuses as we stand before a righteous, holy God who never miss speaks. Friends, have you, have you considered this truth? Have you considered that you rebel against God, not just with your actions, the things you do, but the things you say? We don't like this. We don't like thinking about our problems in our hearts. We, we, we don't like thinking that for the, the judgment that we receive for the words that come out of our mouth. We want to shift the burden. It's our circumstances. It's our spouse. It's our, it's our kids. It's our roommates. I'm only responding to how they first spoke to me. We, we want to believe that our word problems are actually outside of us and not inside of us. And if we just had enough willpower, the right communication technique, our speech would become flawless. So flawless, in fact, that we could talk God into loving us or talk God into getting into his good favor. But if we operate this way, we won't have any need for the redeeming, renewing grace of Christ. And that's where James wants to take us. He does not want to take us to ourselves. He does not want to take us ultimately to our efforts. He wants to take us to Christ. And scripture tells us that when Jesus spoke, the people responded, no one ever spoke like this man. Jesus never stumbled in his speech. Being truly human and truly God, Jesus tamed his tongue. His heart was pure and is pure, always speaking right words at the right time. Jesus never tolerated sin. He used his words to love the self-righteous by rebuking them. Jesus always welcomed the sinner. He used his words to love the broken by speaking grace to them. Jesus didn't use his words for revenge, but restored and reconciled even those who betrayed him. Jesus didn't use his words to defend himself, but always spoke of God's glory. Jesus never complained when he faced life's troubles. He used his words to cry out to his father in heaven saying, not my will, but yours be done. And even to his last breath, Jesus spoke with purity and power as he hung on the cross. Jesus uttered, it is finished. Three simple words. So much power. Christian brothers and sisters, as Jesus hung on the cross, he took the judgment for every careless word you have or will say. Though he was sinless in his speech, he died that we might receive mercy despite our malicious comments. Though he was sinless in his speech, Jesus died that we might receive grace even though we've gossiped. 
Though he was sinless in his speech, he died that we might be forgiven of our flawed words. And it gets even better. He didn't just die. He rose again on the third day. The gospel isn't just good advice telling us how we need to live. It's, it's gracious, good news announcing that Jesus lives and reigns with the Father and sends the Holy Spirit to give us new life. What do we need? We need a new heart. What does the gospel give us? It gives us a new heart. And when we stumble, he continues to forgive. See, the gospel deals not just with the penalty of sin, but the power of sin, and it brings us into the pleasure of God. No human being can tame the tongue. But when we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, God sends his spirit And the spirit tames our tongue. The spirit molds us, shapes us, convicts us, change us one degree of glory to another. So beloved, watch your words and rejoice how the spirit is changing your tongue. Rejoice how he's using your words for the glory of Christ, the good of your church family, the good of your neighbors, your friends, your classmates, your coworkers. And remember this, the more Jesus enthralls the soul, the more you'll become like him. Speaking words of hope, love, peace, wise correction, humble rebuke, words that seek unity in Christ, words that are soaked with mercy and grace. See, the more you look at Jesus and love him, the more your words will have the accent of heaven. That's what we want. The gospel promises nothing less than a new heart. And with new heart comes new, better, truer words. And with those words, we have power to boast of great things, gospel things, as we help each other treasure Christ. And with those words, we have power, power to destroy the schemes of the evil one. And with those words, we reveal. We reveal the supremacy of Christ and our satisfaction in him. Beloved, God has given us words that we might praise him. For my non-Christian friends, I hope you see the, the gospel, the Christian faith is more about morale, more than about morality. It's about the majesty and the beauty of Christ. How he offers a greater hope than just trying hard and doing better. If you want to know more about that, come talk to me or the person who brought you. I'll be happy to show you how Christ even transformed the way we use our words. Beloved, let's watch our words. They have power. Watch your words. They can destroy. Watch your words. They always reveal. They reveal our need for Jesus and the hope that we have in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we marvel that you spoke. You created with your words and you revealed yourself in your incarnate word, Christ Jesus. You have given us scripture, your holy word, that we might know you. Thank you for the potency of scripture. I pray that you would change us, that we would be people who use our words in a peculiar way, showing the beauty and the supremacy of Christ. Where we have misplaced words, where we have malicious words, where we have gossiped and slandered, grant us repentance. Change us one degree of glory to another that we might speak more about Jesus and like Jesus, and that we might be built up for the glory of his name. We pray all these things in the only name worthy before your throne, the name of Jesus, amen.